0: Well, uh, today we're going to finish our series in the book of Nehemiah, and uh, so uh, next week we're going to go into the book of Mark in and, and, and a series called Journey to the Cross, and so uh, starting next week we're going to follow Jesus as he goes towards uh, the crucifixion as we, as we go to Easter. Um, but this morning we're still in uh, Nehemiah chapter 8, and um, we, we see here that Nehemiah uh, has finished the building. Uh, Nehemiah came to to, to Jerusalem to build the walls, to renovate the walls, to restore the walls of Jerusalem. And uh, in chapter six, they were completed. And so Nehemiah is done with that part of his job. And then in chapter eight, what Nehem starts to do is he begins to renovate and restore the people of God. And so uh, in chapters one through six, he's been renovating and restoring the walls of Jerusalem and here, from chapter eight all the way to the end of Nehemiah, he's he's re- restoring and renovating the actual the people themselves, which is really Nehemiah's main work. You know, uh, this is you know Nehemiah. You know, he's a builder. He likes rebuilding building walls, but the main task that he's about there, the main reason why he went to Jerusalem in the first place, was not just about bricks and mortar. Uh, he's rebuilding the walls so that he might restore God's people. And so that's what he does, chapter 8, all the way through the end, Nehemiah is restoring God's people, renewing God's people. And uh, by the way, that is the main task of the church as well. You know, uh, as, you, as you go around Batesville, you'll find beautiful churches everywhere and, uh, you know, renovating buildings, that's what we've done with this building. Uh, but at the end of the day, the church is about much more than bricks and mortar, isn't it? The church is about the people. It's about renovating lives. It's about building lives. And uh, that's what Nehemiah does from chapter 8 to 16. And that's what we're doing here as a church. We're we're building the kingdom. We're not just restoring buildings, but we are renovating lives. That's the main work that Nehemiah came to do. It's our main work. But the question is, how does Nehemiah build the community? I mean, here in chapter 8, he begins to restore and renew and renovate the community. How does he do it? I mean, when he went to rebuild the walls, he used, you know, trowels and shovels and hammers. How does Nehemiah renovate the people? I mean, how how do we renovate our lives? How do we, uh, you know, become renewed and restored? Uh, How do we get rebuilt? And the answer is in chapter eight. Uh, Nehemiah renovates the people. We see the key here. We see what he brings out in order to renovate the people. And the answer is Nehemiah brings out God's word. He brings out the scripture. When he wants to rebuild the walls, he uses trowels and shovels. When when Nehemiah wants to rebuild people, and when we want to rebuild and renew our community, we bring out the word of God. We bring out the scripture. The scripture here is the catalyst to renewal. Exposure to the Bible brings renewal. And in chapter 8 uh, you know, Isaiah, or, uh, Ezra comes out for the first time. He's a scholar in the Torah, and he opens up God's word and he begins to explain it. And as he explains God's word, the people of God are renewed. In fact, nine times throughout the book uh, uh, of chapter 8 of Nehemiah, the, the word Torah is mentioned, which is the Old Testament word for scripture. And it's not just repeated, but scripture it just infuses the whole community here. And the catalyst to renewal, the, the catalyst for re- restoration in our lives always comes through the Bible, by exposing yourself to the Bible. And uh, this, by the way, is why we preach the Bible every week, is we know that the way your lives are, are built up and restored and renewed is through exposure to the Scripture. But how does the Bible do that? How does the Bible do that? I mean, the Bible has power to renew us. It's, a, it's like a seed that kind of goes in and brings life into our lives. But how does the Bible restore people? Because we all know people that have a lot of Bible knowledge, you know, that go to church every week, and yet their lives aren't really changing, right? I mean, how is it that God's Word does his, its work in our lives? Because it's possible to memorize Scripture and to know your Bible and to believe the Bible in principle and yet not to ex- really experience the, the Bible's power in your life. Uh, my brother uh, th- last week was contacted by a church, and uh, they were talking to him about what, you know, th- some problems in their church. And uh, this church had been through uh, about 12 years of decline. It was, you know, at one point, its membership was high, it was vibrant, and the church just w- was plummeting in membership, And they were talking to him about what went wrong, and they brought in a group, you know, that kind of analyzed their church to tell them what was going on. Why was the church dying? And one of the things the analyst said was that, look, he says, "You, you are involved in intellectualism. He says, you all know your Bible really well, but it's not penetrating into your lives. And this is what Jesus told the Pharisees of his day. He said, uh, the religious elites, he said, you understand neither the scriptures nor the power of God, and he's—you t- know—the Pharisees knew their Bibles. Uh, the, the religious elites, they knew the scripture; they had memorized it, and yet Jesus said, "You don't really know its power." And so, how do we experience the power of the of the scripture in our lives? How does the Bible actually renew us? We don't just want to know it. We want it to permeate into our lives and begin to restore and renovate and renew us. How does the Bible do that? Well, in this chapter, uh, we see how the Bible renews the people of God. And I want us to see three characteristics, three things that happen in a person's life when the Bible's renewing them. And uh, I'm going to give you uh, the three things right up front, front as a road map. And so when the Bible's renewing somebody, the Bible brings joy, into your life, second of all, the Bible brings sorrow into your life, and thirdly, it brings healing. If you're really being renewed by the Bible, it's gonna bring joy, sorrow, and renewal, or uh, healing, into your life. These are the three things that we see in this passage. And so first of all, uh, we'll look at uh, joy. As Ezra came in chapter eight, and as he opened up the scripture, and as the people gathered, and they began to hear the word of God, a taught, you know, as the Bible permeated the community, the first thing we see is that there was almost an explosion of joy. Uh, chapter eight is almost like a, it's a feast, it's a celebration. All the way through, you see that the people are rejoicing. They're eating and they're drinking, and there's incredible joy because of the word of God coming in. It says in verse 12, it says, all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions uh, and, to, and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. In verse 10, it says, the joy of the Lord was their strength. And at the end of the chapter, it ends with the people uh, rejoicing greatly. So if the Bible's really going, in your, going into your heart, going into your life and renewing you, the first thing that you're going to see is joy. Joy. Uh, There's an Old Testament uh, scripture where the prophet Jeremiah, he said, uh, God gave him a scroll and he says, I ate the scroll, I ate the Torah, I ate the word of God. And he said, it was the joy and rejoicing of my heart. And so are you experiencing joy from God's word? You know, there's this great little verse here, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And this is one of those verses that we crochet on on our walls, you know, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And, uh, notice that this is connected to the Bible. When they received the Bible, they were joyful and that joy was their strength. The joy is connected to the scripture. And so if you're receiving God's word, there's going to be joy in your life. Now why does God's word bring joy? Uh, b- because number one, it's related to nourishment. You know here these people, a notice it says that they stood before the, the teaching and the preaching, And it said they were there from uh, early in the morning to midday. So six hours, these people are are listening to a Bible study. Uh, Let's try that one Sunday, shall we? Six hours, should we do that? They weren't only only listening, they were standing. Standing for six hours, taking in the scriptures. And then it says that their ears were listening to the Bible intently. So nobody's falling asleep out there. Why? Why? It's because the Bible is nourishing their souls. These people are hungry. Uh, you know, they've been in exile for 70 years. They haven't opened a Bible for 70 years. And in Deuteronomy, it says that man shall not live by what? By bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so if you're not being nourished by the Scripture, you're gonna, your soul is going to be hungry. And so these people come, it's almost like they're famished. They're like, give us the word, we're going to stand all day long. And the joy comes from being nourished by the Bible. Have you ever been hungry? What happens when you get hungry? You get cranky. You get uh, droopy. Sometimes you get depressed, it sucks the life out of you. And when you eat, it's like this: your light, your, the light of your eye sort of sparks up again. And this is what, when you take in God's word, it brings you joy because of nourishment. Are you being nourished by the Bible? And so their joy came from the nourishment. It also came from from, uh, enlightenment, from understanding what was read to them. Notice in verse 12. It says, says, um, and all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions to make great rejoicing. Why? Because they understood the words that were declared to them. You see, the joy came because they understood what God was saying. Have you ever been in the dark, maybe at a job where you don't know what you're doing? You know, a brand new job and you're lost, you know, you 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 feel like I don't know what I'm doing and you're in the dark. I mean, how does that feel? It's miserable. But then you finally sort of learn, you know, the lights go on and you learn your job, and then you start to experience joy in what you're doing because you have understanding. And these people, 70 years they've been lost. Uh, They don't they they they've been lost concerning who God is and who they are and what they're supposed to do in the world And now finally they're understanding the light is coming on the word of God is a light to their feet and a lamp to their path And they're experiencing joy because of it And when the word of God you let it come in and it shows you how to live and what you're supposed to be doing It brings joy in your life. Are you letting the Bible in? But notice notice that the joy also came from obedience. Uh, You know, they read about you know some probably sometime at about eleven o'clock. You know, uh, almost midday, they go to Deuteronomy and they learn about the feast of booths, and they start realizing we haven't done this for a very long time, and so they immediately start building booths and they put the word of God into practice, and so the joy comes from obedience. Uh, You know, this this is not like your average Bible study where they're going and they're taking notes. Nobody's taking notes here. They're listening to obey. They're listening to find out, you know, what does God want us to do? And they find out, they immediately put it into practice. Jesus says, you've heard my words. Happy are you, joyful are you if you do them. And so are you listening to obey? Are you putting God's word into practice? This is where the joy comes from. And so the people are renewed because the the Bible's being opened up to them and they're devouring it like food. The lights are coming on, they're putting it into practice and there's a feast, there's joy and there's rejoicing. And it's worth asking, are you experiencing joy like this from the Bible? Some of you this morning are depressed. Some of you this morning are, are droopy and low and it's because you're malnourished. And I wanna challenge you to open up your Bible and begin to feed on it like food. You know, Charles Spurgeon, who is an old preacher, he struggled with depression. And he said, you know, whenever I get depressed, what I do is I throw myself into the Bible. I begin to devour it, I begin to read it, and he says, I found that when I do that, my heart is restored. I get joy again. It's because he's nourishing his soul. Are you feeding on the scripture Is the Bible bringing you joy? Or is it just knowledge in your head? Do you have it just memorized? Can you pass the exams? Or is the Bible actually bringing joy and restoration and renewal in your heart? Are you feeding on it? Are you nourishing on the scriptures? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so we see that there was joy. That's what the Bible did for them. But second of all, notice that the the Bible not only brought joy the Bible also brought sorrow. It brought sorrow, and this to me is the most interesting thing of this passage. There's a this, there's this celebration, but it's mixed with grief. And so look here what happens. Uh, Ezra opens up the Bible, and, he, and he's speaking to them, and notice uh, he says here um, in verse 10, then the people said to him, or then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat and drink the sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready this day, uh, holy to, the, to our God. And then he says, do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. He says, don't be grieved. And then in verse 11, be quiet for this day is holy. Do not be grieved, do not mourn. And so the Bible, second, second of all, brought grief and sorrow. They start weeping. In chapter nine, they start putting dirt on their heads and they're in sackcloth and ashes, you know, they're repenting, and there's, there's sadness, and there's weeping going on. Why is the Bible making them sad? Why is the Bible bringing grief? You say, well, it was a bad sermon. They were bored to death, like I am now. Or maybe they were tears of joy. No, they weren't tears of joy. It says they were mourning here. The Bible was making them sad. Why is the Bible making them sad? This is the second thing that happens to a person who's being renewed by the Bible. The Bible brings into their life sort of a sweet sorrow, a wound into their life that brings healing. Are you being wounded by the Bible? If you're not, you're not ever going to be renewed by it. The Bible's like a mirror. And what does a mirror do? The, The mirror shows you who you really are. And, you know, the, the, the Bible, it, what it does is it, it's a ref, it, you look into it and it tells you exactly who you are, warts and all. And sometimes when you open the Bible and, and it shows you, who you your sin and your flaws, you're wounded. It makes you sad. Uh, when I first got married, um, we lived in a small apartment and I didn't have a mirror. We had one of the small mirrors, but we didn't have a, a full-length body mirror. And I was going to seminary, and I was eating donuts every day. I mean, it was awesome. Every day, free donuts at 10 o'clock, and I was there. And I got super fat. Um, (laughs) But I didn't know it. I had no mirror. All I saw was my face. And it looked a little plumpy, but I thought, well, maybe the mirror's warped or something. One day, we went to Target and bought a full-length mirror. And when I looked at it, I was sad. Do you have that experience reading God's Word? Does the Bible ever make you sad? Are you ever wounded by the Bible? Do you ever let the Bible tell you what you look like? Or in other words, are you ever confronted by the Bible? You know, a lot of us, we memorize Scripture, we know the Bible, but do you let the Bible contradict you? Uh, the, in the book of Hebrews, it says the Bible is like a sword. <clears throat> it says it's like a sword, and it says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So in other words, the Bible should cut into your heart and in your soul. The Bible has incredible discernment, and it can pierce right in and show you what your heart and your soul looks like. And sometimes that's painful. But if you never experience this wound, you'll never change. Not really. If you're just memorizing the Bible, you might grow in your intellectualism, but unless you let Scripture wound you, you're never gonna be changed by it. John Stott put it this way, we must allow the word of God to confront us, to disturb our security, to undermine our complacency, and to overthrow our patterns of thought and behavior. Are you ever letting the Bible do this? And you know, the Bible is an equal opportunity offender. If you are a Republican, the Bible will offend you. If you're a Democrat, the Bible will offend you. The Bible has a way of offending all of us. You know, so often we come to church to be affirmed in what we believe. You know, we come to church to say, yes, 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 I'm right, I'm right, I'm right, yes, affirmed in what I believe, amen, but do you ever go to church and be offended? Are you ever confronted and wounded? Does the Bible, do you ever let the Bible tell you you're wrong? Or are you just using it on other people? Do you ever turn that mirror inward and allow it to confront you? If you're not doing this, you'll never be renewed and changed by it. The other morning, I was, this happened to me. I was uh, in the shower. I'd gotten up in the morning, and uh, I'd gotten up in a sour mood. And I had this loop in my mind that was going over and over again. It was a loop of anger and bitterness and resentment. And it was going on, this pattern of thought was going in on my mind, you know, when I was in the shower. And, and I was just getting more and more frustrated and, and angry and depressed. And so I, I thought, I'm going to read my Bible, and Jesus is going to encourage me through the Bible. You know, maybe I'll get one of those wonderful scriptures, You know, uh, you, you know, Uh, uh, consider the birds of the air, God loves you, kind of those sorts of things. I opened up my Bible to Mark chapter eight, and it began by saying, get behind me, Satan, for you are not thinking the things of God, but the things of man. Ouch. The Bible cut me, and the Bible wounded me, but it was a sweet wound. And it was a wound that led to healing because I was able to change. And if you're not letting the Bible do this, it's not gonna change you. It's never gonna renew you. It's never gonna restore you. Are you allowing God to contradict you by his word and challenge you and and go into your life and and to contradict you? And Tim Keller put it this way, if your God never disagrees with you, you might be worshiping an idolized version of yourself. And if you're really reading the Bible, God will disagree with you. And he'll challenge you. Okay, so they got joy from the word of God. It's nourishing them. They're being fed by it. It's bringing joy. But it's also mingled with sorrow. They're being cut by it. They're being wounded by it. They're being challenged and confronted by, by the Bible. Are you letting the Bible do this? Because this is how it renews us. But then finally notice that the Bible brought healing for them. <clears throat> and I'll make this quick. Uh, the Bible brought healing. Uh, because notice that they don't stay in the sorrow. Uh, in chapter 9, I'm not going to read it, but they, they work themselves out of the sorrow, and they begin to experience healing. And how do they do this? Well, there's this long prayer in chapter nine where they begin to recount the story of the Bible. And what is the story of the Bible? The story of the Bible is, it's, it's the, the story of God's actions in human history. As you read the Bible, you'll find out, you know, God did this, and then God did this, and then God did this. It's a recount of everything that God did in, throughout human history. And in their prayer, what they do is they begin to go through the story, And as they go through the story, their their wound is healed because they learn that the God of the Bible is a God who loves them. Listen, the Bible's not just a mirror. And if the only thing you ever do is read the Bible like a mirror, the Bible will never heal you. If the Bible for you is just a handbook for living, if it's just a bunch of do's and don'ts, if it's just a bunch of moral examples for you to follow, the Bible is not going to heal you. It's going to crush you. Uh, Mark Twain, uh, famously, he read the Bible like this, and and he said that he had nightmares about the Bible. He said he had dreams about a huge Bible coming down out of the sky and, and onto his chest, and it was crushing him and breaking his bones and suffocating them, and he couldn't breathe. And some of you, this is how the Bible is for you because you're reading it like a mirror only. The Bible is a handbook for living. It's a bunch of do's and don'ts. It's a bunch of moral examples. And you're finding, I can't do this. I'm wrong. I keep messing up. And the Bible is crushing you. If the Bible's ever gonna heal you, you have to read it differently. It is not primarily, the Bible is not primarily about you. And if you read it that way, it's gonna crush you. You're going to stay wounded. The Bible is primarily about God and what he's done for you. I had a religious studies teacher in college, and he used to say, you know, the Bible is a record of man's search for God. That's not true. The Bible is a record of God's search for man. And unless you see that, the Bible's never going to heal you. Psalm 119 is a a psalm, it's a song about God's word. And throughout the psalm, the psalmist is always saying, I love God's word, God's word heals me, I want to obey God's word, I put it in my heart so that I don't sin against God. And then the very last verse of Psalm 119, it says this, I've gone astray like a lost sheep. And he says, seek me according to your word. See, you mess up all the time. And you're wondering, how does God think about me? Does he hate me? Does he want to cast me off? Listen, this is what the Bible tells you. It says that, that God is a God who pursues. God is a God who seeks lost sheep. Unless you read the Bible as a whole story whose climax is Jesus, it will never heal you. And look at the book of Nehemiah. The book of Nehemiah, I mean, it's an example of how we ought to build in God's kingdom. But Nehemiah points beyond itself. There's a greater Nehemiah. Nehemiah stepped out of the palace into the rubble. Jesus stepped out of the ultimate palace and into the rubble of this world. Why? To pursue you, to love you, and to heal you. Are you reading the Bible this way? Are you allowing the Bible to point you to Jesus? If you're not doing this, it's never gonna renew and heal you. And so uh, chapter eight, we're done, but chapter eight of Nehemiah, it's about how the Bible renews and restores us, how it renovates us, how does it do it? By bringing joy, you're nourishing on it, you're feeding on the Bible. It wounds you, it shows you what you're really like, it critiques you and challenges you, but then finally it doesn't leave you there it points you ultimately to the fact that Jesus Christ is the center. The Bible is about him and what he's done for you. And you gotta get this into your gizzard, as my old pastor used to say. You gotta let the Bible preach to you the gospel.